Thank you, Eric. <clears throat> Isaiah 43 is one of those pages in my Bible that are well, well worn. And that's such a, such a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Trust has prepared our hearts to worship. If you would, open your Bibles with me now to Psalm 24. Question I'd like for us to consider this morning is who can stand in God's presence? That's the question that David is asking in verse 23. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? David is asking, is there anyone who can stand in God's holy presence? Is there anyone who can stand in God's presence because he's satisfied God? Is there one, anyone, that can go into God's presence and be accepted because his righteousness is perfect? Is there anyone that can go into God's presence and stand, not be destroyed by the holy light of his presence? That's David's question. Now, we should just be totally honest. When we're asking this question, is there anyone who can stand in God's presence? This is what we're really asking. Is there any way I can stand in God's presence? Is there any way you and I can stand in God's holy presence? Is there a way that sinners like us can stand in God's holy presence and be accepted? Is there a way? That's the all-important question. I can't think of a more important question for you and me than this. Is there a way a sinner like me can stand in God's presence? Well, first, when considering this question, David shows us this. He shows us something of who God really is. He says in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Now, God is the creator. This God with whom we have to do, he's the creator. He created everything that exists. And he did it in untold power. He just spoke the world into existence. He just spoke everything into existence. There was nothing in space but a vast, empty void. Just a vacuum. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let the dry land appear. And it appeared. God has such power. He hung a bunch of balls in space with no visible support. And there they've stayed. There they've stayed. They stay there by God's power. And this one ball, this one planet that God made inhabitable by man, David says he founded it upon the floods. He founded the earth, the, 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 the dry land that we have on the earth. He founded it on water. Founded it on water. How can water support anything? I mean, is there anything more unstable than water? Yet there the earth has stood. The land on the earth has stood for 6,000 years and man's lived upon it all that time. Now that just gives us just a hint of God's power, doesn't it? And his authority. His authority as creator. Since God is the creator of this world. He's the sustainer of this world. He keeps this world from crashing into the sun or going too far away from the sun and, you know, that we all die. 
God keeps the earth full. He keeps it full of air and water and minerals and food and animals and things. Since God's the sustainer of it all, everything that's in earth belongs to him, doesn't it? The fullness, everything in this earth belongs to him. Everything and everyone, you and me, in this earth belongs to God. It's his to dispose of as he pleases. He can do with us as he pleases. And nobody can question it because he's God. He's God. He's the God that created us. He's the God that gave us life. He's the God that sustains us. He owns us. So he can do with us as he pleases. i tell you what that means. All of us have to answer to God. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. We must answer to the holy God. And that's a frightening proposition for a sinner, isn't it? And that's why David asked this question. Can anyone stand in God's holy presence and him not use his absolute power to destroy us? Is there any? Then number two, David gives us the description of who can stand in God's holy presence. He says in verse three, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. He's not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, there's one David describes who can stand in God's presence. And you know from reading this description, the only one he can possibly be describing is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. The one who stands in God's presence must have clean hands. Well, that's none of us. He can only be describing the Lord Jesus, can he? He never used his hands to sin. He never used his hands to shed innocent blood like we have. He used his hands to help people. He used his hands to heal people. He used his hands to point people to salvation in him. He used his hands to point people away from the burden of the law to freedom from that bondage and burden in him. He pointed his, his people to a place they, if you're thirsty, come drink. If you're hungry, come eat. If you're weary, come rest. He used his hands to point helpless, hopeless sinners to salvation in him. And then he gave his hands to be nailed to the tree, to be crucified so that he would become the sin sacrifice for his people. That's what he used his hands for. He never lifted his hands to idols. He always trusted his father perfectly. Everything he did was pure and clean. Everything he did outwardly. And he was perfect outwardly because he's perfectly inwardly. David also says the one who stands in God's presence must have a clean heart. Well, you know that's not you and me. The only one that can be is the Lord Jesus Christ. He did no sin. He, you know why he did no sin? Because he has a holy nature. He has a clean heart that could not sin. He has the only nature that God will accept. He loved God perfectly. He's holy. Now holiness is not just an outward thing. Holiness is, well, I still have these sinful desires, but I don't act on them as much as I used to. Holiness is not having the sinful desire in the first place. We don't have the sinful desire in the first place because we have a holy nature. 
See, that can only be describing Christ, can it? Then David says, the one who stands in God's presence must have never delivered up his soul to vanity. Now again, that can only be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. His hands, his heart, and his soul are all perfect. And this word vanity, it has to do with the uselessness of idolatry. That's what the word means. Now can you think of anything more empty than idolatry? I mean, anything other than Christ alone is idolatry, isn't it? Idolatry is empty of salvation. It's empty of life. It's empty of grace. It's empty of mercy. It's it's empty of cleansing from our sin. Anything other than Christ alone is empty of salvation, righteousness, and forgiveness. So lifting up the soul has something to do with vanity and also has something to do with enjoying You know, the one who God accepts never even enjoyed idolatry. He always trusted in the Lord. The Lord Jesus always found his joy and his satisfaction in his Father. Then, David says, the one who stands in God's presence must have never sworn deceitfully. Now he's talking about the lips, isn't he? The one that God will accept Never made a promise he didn't keep. Swearing deceitfully is making a promise you never intended to keep. The one that God will accept never made a promise that he did not keep. Now again, that can only be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior was never a fraud. The one I tell you to trust in is not a fraud. This news of the gospel, this news of grace, it's not too good to be true because he's not a fraud. He never pretended to have a righteousness that he didn't have. He never pretended to have a holiness that he didn't have. He never pretended to have a sacrifice for sin that he did not have. He never he never pretended to have a way to the Father that he did not have. And he never coveted anything. He never coveted any glory that wasn't his. He wasn't deceitful. He'd have to use deceitful means to get something that didn't belong to him. He couldn't covet everything because he already owns everything, doesn't he? The earth is the fullness of the earth is all his. Now you know lots of people have made vows to God, haven't they? Every one of us here have. Oh Lord, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll do it. Every one of us made a vow to God and not one of us has ever kept it. But there's one who has. There's one. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he made a vow to his Father. In the covenant of grace, he made a vow to his Father that he would come to earth and redeem his people from their sins. He would come as a man And he would obey the laws, the representative of his people, and he would make them righteous. He would come in the flesh and do absolutely everything it took to redeem his people from their sins and bring them to the Father. Adam had separated God's people from him. Christ vowed, I'm going to come and bring them back to you. And at Calvary, the vow was paid. Look back at page Psalm 22. Verse 25, this is the psalm of the cross. In verse 25, he says, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them 
that fear him. Christ paid that vow to his, his father. He sacrificed himself so the sin of his people would be put away. He's the only one who ever did what he promised to do. The Lord Jesus is the only one who was not born a fraud, a deceiver. He's the only one who did no sin. Neither was any guile found in his mouth. He only desired. He only thought about. He only did. He only said that which is holy. Even when he was made sin and suffered the justice of his father, he still never sinned because he has a holy nature. That makes him the sinless sacrifice. See, that's why all of the sin of his people is put away under the blood of his sacrifice because his blood is perfect. His blood is sinless. Since he's the sinless sacrifice, he can take the, the sin of his people away from them into his own body upon the tree and put it away by the sacrifice of himself. That's what he promised the Father he'd do. And that's what he did. That's what he did for his people. So, verse 5, he, this one who, who can stand in God's presence, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Since God the Son kept his vow to the Father in the covenant of grace, the Father kept his vow to the Son too. Christ came, he fully accomplished the salvation of his people. By his sacrifice, he redeemed all the people that the Father gave him to save. Because he did what he promised he would do. The father blessed the son. He kept his promise that he made to the son. He gave his son justice. He gave his son exactly what he deserved. Now, when Christ was made sin, the father gave him exactly what that sin deserved, didn't he? But when the sacrifice was complete, sin is put away. The father raised him from the dead. And he gave his son exactly what he earned. He brought him back to glory. Gave him a name which is above every name. That phrase there, he'll receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. That phrase means the father gave him exactly what he earned. Christ has earned a name which is above every name. He's earned the salvation of his people. Since Christ pleased the father, the father exalted the son. He gave him praise and glory, which is exactly what he deserves. You know, after the Lord was, was raised from the dead, he went around about 40 days with his disciples on earth, and then he ascended back into heaven. You know why he ascended, ascended back into heaven and why he was accepted of the Father? Because the Father exalted him to be there. There in verse uh, 3, it says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? That word means to be exalted. The Savior didn't just rise up from, from earth to heaven of his own accord. The Father exalted him to be there. He exalted him to be there because that's what he earned by his life and his death and his resurrection for his people. The Father exalted him to be there because that's what he earned. So the only one who can stand in the presence of God and be accepted is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And not only can he, he has. He has. Now look over at John chapter 3.
This is something I can't explain. It's just so because I read it in God's Word. Christ our Savior has always stood in the presence of the Father. He's never not been accepted. It's not like, well, he wasn't accepted before he came in the flesh and then he, he did all the work of righteousness and all the work of salvation and then finally he's accepted in the presence of the Father. He's always been in the presence of the Father. He's never not been accepted. Look at this, John chapter 3, verse 13. Here our Lord is talking to Nicodemus and he says, No man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now, Nicodemus, his mind could never comprehend being born again. How in this world can Nicodemus ever understand the one standing here talking to you is in heaven? <laughs> but he is. He's accepted even then. Always accepted. It's, it's the omniscience of our Savior. He's everywhere. At the same time, he's the only Savior. He's the only one that the Father will accept. Well, I see that, don't you? Do you see that? I mean, I see that. That, that. That's just plain from the whole Word of God. I understand how David's describing the Lord Jesus Christ here. I understand how that Christ has earned to be accepted of the Father and stand in the Father's presence. I understand that. I have no problem seeing that. Do you? I see that. But this description that David gives excludes you and me. I don't fit that bill. Do you? Our nature is nothing but sin. Our hands, all they do is sin. Because our nature, our heart is sin. Our hands and our feet are swift to shed blood. All our nature can do is lift up itself in vanity. I mean, idolatry is at the very heart of our nature. You think, well, I've never bowed down to a stone statue. I've never. Well, I'll tell you what's what's uh, the idolatry that's in the heart of every man. Worshiping myself. Trusting myself. Trusting my works. That I'm good enough. I'm better than somebody else. So God will accept me. That's idolatry. It's trusting my works instead of trusting Christ alone. Unless God does something for us. Unless God gives us a new heart, we will always refuse to bow to Christ. That's how horrible our nature is. Our mouths, all they've done is sworn deceitfully. We claim to have a righteousness we don't have. We, we pretend to be better than what we are. We claim to have a love for God that we don't have. Now, I know somebody's going to say, oh, I love God. Well, we love the God, the little G, God of our imagination. But by nature, we don't love the God of heaven and earth. We don't love the God of this book. We don't love that God who is sovereign and can do with us as he pleases. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. No, we don't like that. By nature, well, I don't, I don't like God can do with me as he pleases. You know, I, I want a chance. But that's the God of scripture. And you tell somebody about him, our mouths will be full of cursing and bitterness. No, we won't have that man to reign over us. Now, that's our nature. So you and I can never earn praise and acceptance from the Father. The only thing we can ever earn from Him is wrath. Isn't that right? The only thing we deserve because of our sin is damnation. Now since David can only be describing the Lord Jesus Christ, I see that. I'm not arguing with that. But here's the question. 
Where does that leave us then? Where does that leave us? Can't there be any hope for a sinner like me? Well, there is. There is. That's the good news of the gospel. There is. And that hope, it's easy to find. It's all in one person. It's all in Christ. Look what David says back in our text here. Psalm 24, verse 6. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O God of Jacob. Now we just saw this description of the Savior. He's holy, he's sinless, he's pure, he's righteous. The Father accepts him and gives him every blessing because that's what he earned. The Father's given him what he deserved because he kept his vow. Well, the good news of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, is that Christ has made his people to be just like him. This word generation, it means the description. The description. The Lord Jesus Christ is the federal head of his people. He's the representative of his people. So all of his people are just like him. They're righteous and holy. It's the same way Adam made all of his race unrighteous. Adam made all of his race sinful, didn't he? We're all made just like him. There's not a person here that can deny that. We're all made just like Adam. Now I see that because I see it in the flesh. Well, Christ the second Adam, he's made all of his people just like him. He's made them righteous and holy by his obedience to God. And the Father, we see this, he accepts Christ. Well, you know what? He accepts everybody in Christ too. He accepts everyone who's under his federal headship. The Father accepts those people in Christ because they're made just like Christ. Just like him. And you say, well, I don't see that. I don't see how I'm made just like Christ. I don't either. But the way the Father sees us, that's the way we are. That's the way we are. What this is teaching is the union of Christ and his people. I wish we'd get past thinking about this union with Christ as as a doctrinal difference between us and somebody else. Union with Christ is sweet. It's glorious. It's mysterious, but it's sweet and it's glorious that a sinner would be united to to the Son of God, made part of the body of Christ so that we are what he is, And this union is real. It's real. To be made just what Christ is. To be as holy and righteous as he is. For he hath made him sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made what? The righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in him. Made as righteous as the son of God. That's the only way the father can accept us. Is if we're truly righteous. That's what Christ made us. Made his people righteous. Was Christ holy? He is. Of course he is. Then so are his people. Because they're made just like him. Is Christ righteous? Absolutely he is. Well his people are too. Because they're made just like him. Not by what they did. By what he did. See that? By what he did. He made his people to have a righteous, legal standing. But salvation is a whole lot more than a legal standing. 
Salvation is a whole lot more than just a legal piece of paper, a legal acceptance. Christ made his people righteous. Yes, he gave them a legal righteousness, but he causes them to be righteous. To be righteous. You know how he does it? The new birth. When they're born again, they're born righteous. When God's elect are born, when they're born again, there's a new nature born in us that's born from a holy seed. Now the nature is determined by the seed that conceived it, right? If the seed's holy, the nature's holy. You know why we're born unrighteous and, and sinful in the first place? Because the seed that conceived us is sinful and unrighteous. It's the only seed Frank Sr. had to pass on to me. The only nature he had to pass on. We're born of the holy seed of the word of God. The only nature that can possibly be produced from that is a holy nature. See, that old nature is unchanged. There's a new nature born, and that nature is righteous. That nature can never sin. That nature can never lift itself up to idolatry. It can never trust anyone but Christ. It's a righteous nature. Now, I'm going to show you that. Look over to Ephesians chapter 4. God's not pretending that his people are something that they're not so he can accept them. No, he's made them righteous. He made them holy. Ephesians 4, verse 24. And put you on the new man, which after God is created. See, this is a new nature created in us. It's created in righteousness and true holiness. <laughs> true holiness. It's not pretend. It's real. There's no guile there. There's no vanity there. The Lord causes his people to be born with a holy nature that he'll accept. That's how we can stand accepted in his presence. You see the redeemed. They don't stand. They don't ascend in the hill of the Lord. Or they don't stand in his holy place on the footing of the law. No, we come to God and we stand in his holy Presence in his holy place on the footing of grace. On the footing of grace in Christ Jesus. See, God's people were all just like Jacob. That's why he calls himself here the God of Jacob. Because everybody God saves is a Jacob. We're all cheats. We're all supplanters. We're full of hypocrisy. We're full of guile. We're full of sin. We're all trying to get something that don't belong to us. We're all trying to get something for cheap. Not, not pay the, the full price for it. Now, if God's going to accept those people in his presence, it's got to be by grace, doesn't it? It can't be by their works of the law because they don't have any. It's got to be in Christ. It's got to be by grace. Well, here's another description of the people that God accepts. He says they're seekers. This is the generation of them that seek him. Seek him. Now, why do you seek for something? Well, you seek for something you don't have. If you have it, you're not seeking for it, are you? We only seek for something that we don't have. And you only really seek for something that you need. And if I don't really need it, I'm not bothering to look for it. The only thing I'm going to seek for is something I don't have and something that I need. Well, I'm telling you this. God's people seek Christ because they need him. I must have him. 
I'm not just seeking a righteousness. I'm seeking Christ who is my righteousness. See that? I'm seeking Him. I must have Him. These seekers, they're not seeking earthly things, earthly stuff. They're not seeking honor and riches and all these things. Nothing wrong with having those things if the Lord gives them to you, but but that's not what I'm seeking. What I'm seeking, what I must have, is a person. It's Christ. See, the answer to David's question, verse 3, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? The answer to that question is not a set of doctrines. It's not a, it's not a theology book. It's not a way. It's not a, it's not a new way of doing things. The answer is a person. The answer is a person. It's all in Christ. You seek Christ and you'll have righteousness. You'll have the forgiveness of your sins. You'll have peace with God. You'll have every blessing because they're all found in Him. Heaven's going to be filled with seekers. Seekers. Seekers and finders. Now I'll tell you this based upon the authority of the word of God. If you seek Christ with all of your heart, you'll find him. You will, you'll find him. If you seek Christ because you need him, you'll find him. If you seek Christ because you cannot live without him, you'll find him. I promise you, you will. That's what he said. Now, when you find him, you'll, you'll, you may tell folks, I found him. I mean, one, one of the disciples said that. I found him. I found him the Moses, I found the Messiah. Did, 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 did you really? Or did Christ come find you? No, Christ came and found you. He, he, you found him because he sought, sought you first. But you'll find him when you seek him. When you seek him. You'll find him when you beg for mercy. You won't find him when you make a deal with God. I'll do this, Lord, if you do this. You'll find him when you beg for mercy. There's an article on the back of the bulletin. I encourage you to go home and read it. An article by Brother Chris Cunningham about beggars. There's nobody yet ever begged for mercy that didn't receive it. Nobody ever yet. You'll find him when you beg him. Ooh. Now that's good news, isn't it? Well, what's left for us to do then? If Christ did it all, I don't have to do something to add to his righteousness. I don't have to do something to make that effectual for me so I can go stand in God's presence. If Christ did it all, what's left for us to do? We can worship the king. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You know, the door to God has been shut ever since Adam sinned. The way to God's been cut off ever since Adam sinned. That door was closed by Adam's disobedience. But now, our text is saying, Lift up, ye gates. Open up, ye doors. Why? Because Christ the King is coming. 
See, he's opened those doors by his obedience for his people and by his sacrifice for the sin of his people. When Christ ascended back up to heaven, he didn't have to knock on the door. He didn't have to bang on the door and let him know he's home. The door's open for him. Those gates lifted up for him. And he walked in. And he walked up to the throne. And you know what he did? He took the book from him that sat upon the throne. And he opened it. He took it. Because that's what he earned. Christ has entered. Those gates opened for him. He entered. Not just as himself, but as the forerunner. As the forerunner for his people. Since Christ opened the door. He removed every obstacle for his people to come into the presence of the Father. That door's going to stay open. He'll never shut on them again. There's no reason for him to. Christ put it all that away. Well, are we sure now? Are we sure all this is going to be able to happen? Are we sure? Are we sure Christ's going to be able to save his people? Are we sure nothing's going to happen to stop his people from coming to God's presence? Are we sure? Are we sure? Well, who is this that opened the doors? Who is this that the gates opened up for? The King of glory. The King. The Lord. Mighty in battle. He's already defeated every enemy. There's no enemy that exists that can keep God's people out of God's presence. Christ has already conquered. He's the mighty conqueror. By Christ's obedience, by His sacrifice, that door wide open. As long as you come to God by Him. As long as you come to God by Him alone. Look over Hebrews chapter 7. We'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 7. This King of glory, verse 25. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost, completely, forever, that come unto God by Him. That's the key there, by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for Him. Who is the King of glory? He's the Lord, mighty to save. He's the Lord of hosts. He's saved a number no man can number. And every last one of them are going to come and stand before the Father accepted because of the king because of what the king has done for him oh aren't you glad to hear the standing in God's presence to be accepted of the thrice holy God it's not up to you Christ has already done it now you come to him come to him All right, let's bow together Our Father, human words fail to express the the thanksgiving, the awe, the wonder that we have at seeing Christ our Savior, Christ the King, the Lord of hosts, who would do such a great work for such a bunch of low-down sinners as we are. Father, how we thank you. Father, I beg of you that you would take your word as it's been preached and apply it to our hearts this morning. Father, we can't see it unless you give us eyes to see. We can't 
We can't trust Christ unless you give us a heart to believe. We can't understand unless you give us the mind of Christ. Father, apply these things to our hearts and give us faith to see, to trust, to rest in Christ our Savior. And Father, I know I ask a great, great, great blessing that you'd be pleased to give us here faith in Christ. It is for our benefit, for our good. But Father, for thy glory, I pray that you get glory to yourself by saving us here. Surely you'd have to get all the glory and all the praise for it. Father, it's in Christ's name. For his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, Isaac.